1: Good evening, Riffers! This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D Podcast, where we go through many 5e books and talk about various rules and enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of
2: Riffwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riffwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about... <laughs> nobility! Nathan, what is Nobility!
1: rich people will say this mine now and you, i control all of you because i yes
2: <laughs> mm, not exactly but not exactly wrong either so <laughs> in particular nobility as it pertains to dungeons and dragons so it is incredibly common in dnd to refer to you know kings and lords and ladies of the court and blah 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 all of that kind of stuff so what's actually like kind of funny about just the way that it tends to be treated in dnd is that it is kind of based on the feudal system but most dungeon masters don't ever actually take the time to read anything about the feudal system and about how all of that worked or could work in a DD game which is unfortunate honestly so with right. that being said, I did actually give Nathan homework over the last week in anticipation of this episode. So Nathan, if I could please have your report on the feudal system and nobility,
1: I did absolutely nothing, and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> you- <laughs> okay, I I kind of remember some stuff. Uh, there's a bunch of hierarchical bullshit. That's like some uh Earl guy. Hi Earl. Uh, some some uh. That's that's about all I remember.
2: (laughs) You make me sad. I do (sighs) not apologize. No, you wouldn't.
1: So, Remy, um, why don't you explain for our lovely audience? (laughs) God damn it.
2: So, okay. In the feudal system, the... Short, short version. I am not going to go into detail because I don't want to. So back in the day, people didn't own land. The royals did. So the king owned the kingdom, hence it being called a kingdom. So the problem is, especially in a time where communication ain't very fast, controlling a large area is hard. So to manage the land, whoever was the ruler would basically divide up the land like into kind of a pyramid scheme to control the, the territory. So exactly exactly how it would get divided, what titles the various people would be, that could vary. So there kid, is you're right. actually it is yes, a pyramid. I know how much you love pyramids. It. Stop it! We'll get into that later. <laughs> oh (laughs) Uh, you would so in the dungeon master's guide there is a very brief mention of a sample hierarchy of noble titles to just count down from top to bottom just the power just tiers of titles so emperor empress at the top king and queen duke duchess prince princess marquess mark marquis uh, or a marquee if you use the French pronunciation, uh, earl or count and countess, viscount, viscountess, baron, baroness, baronet, and knight. So a 10-tier hierarchy of nobles. So normally, in d d we actually use emperor pretty rarely because we don't usually have that big an area under the control of a particular person or place. So usually we'll have a king that might have, let's say, you know, five sections you know bits of the kingdom that are controlled by five dukes then within each you know duchy they might depending on the size of their territory might have it divided up into i don't know let's just say 12 you know separate uh subdivisions that each is run by a a baron so then you have each baron you know so 12 barons under that one duke that all are under the super you know supervision of the king and then each baron even might decide to further sublet their land that is their under their control to you know some you know i don't know 100 knights that they have under their control because again each Bit of land, even while subdivided up, can still be significant amounts of land. Because again, even one castle can usually just be in charge of a pretty significant amount of land around it, honestly. And again, the whole idea of it is that there are these nobles in charge of some amount of land that, okay, even at the very bottom, just a knight that is just in charge of a castle running just their small area you know, small, quote unquote. So then that knight might have, you know, 50 vill- like, Okay, 50 might be a bit much, but a single knight might have like three villages in their territory, and then they collect the taxes, the knight gets some amount that they get to keep, Then, uh, then some amount gets passed up to the baron, the baron keeps some amount for themselves, and then that gets passed up to the duke, the duke keeps some, and then the rest gets passed up to the king. And that's basically how early taxation worked. And again, I am very much keeping this simplified in all honesty. So people who are in charge of some amount of the land is generally the point of nobility. Whether the person in charge actually is worthy of it, good at it, there working or not, doesn't even matter. But this is where you have that someone can be, like, I don't know, Duke of insert place name here, Baron of, you know, whatever, Count of such and such. Like, that is where all that comes from, because they are the noble in charge of a certain amount of land that is granted to them and or their family just by just royal decree of the king. And before I do go off any further, so Nathan, why would this be relevant to Dungeons and Dragons?
1: So I guess it's mainly because um Maybe the players can uh, achieve such positions as people that the players are dealing with who are in such positions, so on and so forth.
2: Yeah, pretty much. So, like we've talked before about the tiers of play in D&D. And honestly, this is a good way to kind of think about influence. So, we've talked before about how like as players level up, they in theory would deal with more powerful individuals and deal with bigger problems. So, think about that in terms of ranked nobility Might help to actually picture that a little bit better. So, if you think about an entire kingdom that is, you know, subdivided, 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 you could actually use that just as a dungeon master to help plan out your like scale of adventure. So in tier one, like that is, you know, the local issues where, OK, you might help out, you know, a single village or town that might have some kind of problem that you're able to just help manage, dispose of, what have you. And so that might be, again, a single place that might bring you to the attention of, you know, the knight or you know, mayor, lord, whatever title you happen to assign you can influence and meet with or at least come to the attention to that person. And that makes player characters known in that place, potentially which might allow them again as they level up and are become capable of larger tasks to be able to be assigned or recommended or have like uh you know letters of recommendation kind of thing just given to the players to meet more influential individuals so that really can just line up nicely while planning a D campaign that okay so once they complete you know xyz quests then they might get like sent to meet with the baron of, you know, the bigger area of, you know, area around them. And they might go to like the local, you know, trading city that is like the larger city in the area that is where they're able to meet with this, you know, noble baron where they're able to get these new quests and so on and so forth. So having an idea of the organization of nobility in your world can be really helpful as a dungeon master just for planning out Oh, so I should plan out adventures on small scale, medium scale, larger scale to help just guide my player's growth and guide my player's influence. Because, again, players are supposed to become better known. So planning out that escalation is alone worth it. However, you know me at this point, unless this is your first episode, in which case, hi. But I am someone who loves thinking about the big picture of world building. So thinking about the kind of tiers of nobility, to me, also thinks about the economics, which, of course, we talked about just on Tuesday. So thinking about, okay. So if you have this one kingdom that is subdivided into these particular you know distributions of, you know, duchies, you know, baronet, barons and knights, okay, so that would then mean that these are the individuals that are under the same umbrella in terms of kingdom. So these villages, these towns, these cities, these waterways, these mountains would all be the land that is under the control of this particular ruler and thinking about that level that scale to me is very important from the world building perspective because we talked a lot just now about the feudal system in particular because that is how most dungeon masters seem to have organized their world that does not mean that that is how you must do so it is entirely within a dungeon master's right to just have an individual city state that is just ruled by a particular individual, and that's it, that they don't have any kind of overlying control of a larger area. However, interactions between different systems of rulership is a massively important part of world building that most DMs just don't think about at all. So if you have Two kingdoms that are neighbors that are of different governmental systems so let's just say that there is indeed okay let's just say that there's you know kingdom one and kingdom two kingdom one is a more typical feudal system where the king is in charge of all of the land but then kingdom two is like a more modern styled democracy where there is this land that promises protection to you know, those within seven days travel or some such, whatever it is that they have in their constitution. So, okay, what if there is overlapping border between two kingdoms, especially two kingdoms here that have different rules? Because from the perspective of kingdom A, that that's the king's land that you're trying to build on. You do not have that authority. You do not have citizenship with our kingdom. How dare you? This is an act of war. While from the perspective of a more democratic land, they might have rules that allow settlement on unoccupied land and that, again, from their perspective, it may seem to be a you know fine and logical thing to do if you do just find nice territory. So again, thinking about the different governmental systems in your world, how the different rules interact, overlap, is Im- important for the sake of world building, because that's the kind of thing that sets up how kingdoms interact with each other. Now, is that necessary for a Dungeons and Dragons game? Of course, no. (laughs) But as is always the case, I like thinking about the big picture things and the interactions of things. So just to, you know, tangent away a bit, from more my style. So, Nathan, how would you think about the interactions between neighboring kingdoms?
1: I wouldn't, for one, but if I had to. <laughs> it most likely go along the lines of, generally speaking, I don't like the cut of your jib. <laughs> and, they, and they um see a thing that they want, and they try to take it. That's pretty much it. And, and use that, that as an excuse. Does,
2: that brings up a really... A really good actually another talking point which is laws for nobility because one rather unfortunate fact of life in you know most historical feudal systems is the fact that there were pretty much different laws for commoners or for nobility so if if like for example a noble were to you know kill someone who works for them then there would generally be either no legal consequence uh I mean there might potentially be some kind of like fine or wear guild where they have to pay some money to the person's family, but the opposite on the other hand, would be rather significantly different where if someone were to kill a noble, then that could be you know immediate you know death by torture just bad things yada yada but The reason that I find this to be interesting from the Dungeons & Dragons perspective is, of course, player characters. How player characters interact with the world around them is one of the jobs of the Dungeon Master. So, thinking about, player characters are gonna kill random people at times more often than not. It is a fact I'm not fond of, but it is a fact. (laughs) Player characters kill people often. So thinking about how you treat that as a dungeon master, a lot of the time dungeon masters will choose to treat it like a modern criminal justice system, like we have also talked about in the past. However, that's not necessarily how it would work out because if, you know, player characters were to just kill, like, you know, a bar on the, like a bar full of people on the docks, like theoretically speaking, those are mostly going to be just, you know, unskilled laborers, using the, you know, DM's guide terminology. So it is possible that you as a dungeon master can actually like plan for that kind of thing by just thinking, okay, so these are commoners and the punishment for the players, even though they just went on a fucking slaughter fest, may really just be a fine for the lost labor to the local lord. And like thinking about things from the more old timey, criminal justice perspective does set a feel for a place like if your players are in a kingdom with rules that are unfamiliar to them that's quite a way of setting up drama or if so you can have okay like that person's labor is worth like two silver a day so like as punishment for killing them now you have to give me the value of like one year of their labor like that sounds like a significant punishment but Nathan like do you realize what that actually is uh, slavery well no 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 like if you like kill what? someone and they like fine you a year of labor like two right. silver a day like that's only 73 gold
1: <laughs> so the worth of your, life, of your life is pretty cheap
2: so the life of like the life of a commoner can be really fucking cheap which is hey! really sad
1: that's what we need to do in Refwake. wake Aha! Thanks, Remy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, that's why I brought it up, because, honestly, this is the kind of thing that I could really see you taking advantage of, like, to have, like, the laws be that kind of style. However, the flip side, of course, comes when dealing with nobility. Like, to make it, like, a known fact in the world that, you know, it is it is fatal, you know, for the perpetrator to, you know, kill a noble, well, that is... Honestly, kind of interesting to think about from our more modern perspective, because like if someone is just like hassling us or saying like, "Hey, I want that thing you have, like no, fuck you, that's mine like we have like a more capitalist mindset, even you know places in the modern world that are less capitalistic, we still do have more often than not just like pride and ownership of what is ours, so having that you know old timey nobility you know, thought of how do you deal with that kind of thing will create kind of a like cognitive dissonance of I don't know how to deal with this in most players because most players, you know, in oh, our damn. modern world don't know how to deal with that.
1: That's amazing. Like right? that that's genuinely sounds like a, it could be a really, really fun thing to do.
2: <laughs> exactly. And thinking about those kinds of stories and drama and interactions in world and between player characters specifically in the world is a big part of why i want dungeon masters to put more thought into the uses of nobility in world because like i said at the start most dungeon masters don't really know a lot about the feudal system but Reading into it and actually using the feudal system properly in game can create a lot of drama and interesting storytelling in your Dungeons and Dragons game.